Welcome back to this week's podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and today's guest is Professor Roberto Cordon. Professor Cordon is originally from Guatemala and has been teaching at Franklin for almost 11 years. Currently, he is a professor of management and international relations. Professor Cordon has been around the world and speaks languages to prove it. Spanish, English, German, French, Italian, and Portuguese. He knows just about everyone there is to know, but I think what is even more lucky is to get the chance to know him. I'm very excited to be able to introduce you all to such a wonderful professor. Welcome, professor. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me, Margaret. Of course. Um, so we're going to step a little bit back into your past and talk about when you originally got your Bachelor's of Science in Chemical Engineering and International Affairs, as well as Latin American Studies. And I'm curious, back then, you know, where did you see yourself going with that? Well, my initial, when I first went to college, I wanted to study chemistry, um, in fact, uh, specifically organic chemistry, and I wanted to go on and get a PhD in chemistry and perhaps become a research chemist. Um, as it turned out, I am terrible at the lab. Um, and after a few incidents uh, while um, researching for my senior thesis, I thought that if I continued to do this, I actually risk killing myself. <laughs> Um, at the same time, uh, I went to a wonderful liberal arts uh, school, and I was encouraged to expand beyond my original interest in chemistry. So I began to take courses in economics and political science, and that's how I ended up with a second major in international relations. Um, and after that, I realized that I liked the social sciences just as much. So um, my first job was actually as a business consultant which had nothing to do with anything I had studied as an undergraduate. Uh, but, you know, a good liberal arts education uh, opens many, many doors. So I went into management consulting. And from there, uh, the next step was to uh, go for a PhD in business. Yeah, because you also were a professor of international business in Chile, right? Yes, I, um, I began to teach... Uh, as a graduate student, I began to teach the, um, the introductory international business class. And um, my thesis uh, was going to be about Chile. So I, through some connections, I was invited to teach at the Pontifical Catholic University in Chile. Um, initially, I, I was invited to teach one course, Management of Multinational Companies. I quickly made it two courses two courses, in Introduction to International Business as well, and what was supposed to be one semester ended up being two years where um, I got to meet a lot of very interesting people in Chile. And live there, which is amazing. So that's very lucky. <laughs> um, yes. Alongside your teaching, um, before you came to Franklin, you also had a lot of work experience in other fields. Um, and I would kind of love to hear a little bit about your professional journey and maybe how this helped you know you wanted to be a professor, how it, you know, specified where you wanted to go? Um, I always knew that I wanted to teach. So even as an undergraduate, the idea of getting a PhD was to enter a career in academia. Um, in the summer, after I graduated from college, um, a very important movie came out, um, The Dead Poet Society. And I remember vividly going to see it. I was working in Boston at that time. 
And after coming out, I was so moved and touched by the movie that I almost got killed because I, I didn't look, I, I crossed the street without looking. Um, but I realized that um, Professor Keating, uh, the, the main character of the movie, that that was going to be my role model. And um, I knew then that I wanted to teach. So then it was a question of what kind of PhD did I want to go for? Um, I began, um, I began my, uh, my graduate program. Uh, during my first year, a professor said, we need somebody to help uh, be a teaching assistant. And I immediately jumped, even though I didn't have to do that. It was not part of my uh, graduate scholarship. And then I tried to teach every semester that I could at, uh, at Wharton in the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, then, of course, I got the job in Chile to, while I was researching for my thesis. Then there was a little interlude, um, although it was not that far from teaching as you would think. While I was um, writing my dissertation, I got invited um, to join um, a, a small division of Pricewaterhouse, which dealt with technical cooperation. Technical cooperation, uh, assistance to developing countries. And um, this specific unit did a lot of courses. Um, now, some of them were in areas that I was not a specialist in, but they were basically courses, mostly working with uh, people from developing country uh, to uh, bring up certain concepts or raise certain qualities. This was also the time when the um, uh, communist bloc or the Soviet bloc had uh, collapsed. And many countries in Eastern Europe uh, were becoming independent, were trying to develop their own institutions, market-based institutions. There were plenty of people who were called into management positions but had very little management training, at least what we know in, in the Western world as a management training. So I ended up doing sort of mini MBA courses um, all over Eastern Europe. Then, um, then in Africa, I became sort of a specialist in Africa, uh, which was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, after two years of doing that, I, um, by, a co by one of my uh, office mates, uh, invited me to do a small research project for the UN. Uh, I was a little tired of all the traveling and the teaching, so I thought, great, I can go to Geneva, spend um, a few months in the office not having to travel. Um, but then in Geneva, people realized that I did have some teaching experience, that I was quite comfortable in, in, um, in foreign countries or in developing countries, that I spoke the languages so that I could teach in French or in, in, or in English or in Spanish. So off I went and started to travel again, which uh, brought me, um, I spent that doing eight years of that, um, went to 140 countries, but it, I taught or I worked in 80 countries. And, um, yeah, at some point, I, it was just too much. I was exhausted. <laughs> I wanted a break. I didn't want to travel that much. And again, one of those serendipitous coincidences, uh, one of the people that I was working in, in our university club said, oh, you know, I know this little college in Lugano. And if you want to do liberal arts in Europe, this is one of the few places. My wife um, uh, actually uh, teaches Italian there. 
Um, this was Professor Ornella Gephardt, who retired a few years ago. And so I first came uh, for, you know, just for a get to know meeting. Uh, I had a very nice talk with, the pres with President Nielsen at the time. He sent me to talk to the new dean. It was actually the first or second year of Dean Steiner Barella, uh, who first told me, I'm not hiring anybody. I, I, I don't have any open positions. So I said, okay, well, just you know, keep me in mind. Um, so for about a year, they kept me in mind. And then uh, I came back again. I was told again, no open positions. But then two or three weeks later, somebody got sick or somebody took a year off. And they said, do you want to come? And I, it took me all of about five minutes to, to agree. And um, a few months later, I was here. So what drew you to a liberal arts school specifically? What do you like about liberal arts? I've taught in many environments, but I am a liberal arts fanatic. I think the quality of education that a liberal arts program provides is incomparable. It is a more expensive uh, liberal arts requires a lot more um, professors per student um, because professors need to be more available. Students need to be able to feel more comfortable accessing professors. Um, their, their residential component is very critical in a liberal arts uh, university. Um, so a liberal arts program does provide uh, a certain, I, let me call it magic in education that the more traditional go to school, go back home, uh, do your homework and pass your exams, um, that that model doesn't, is not able to provide. Uh, but I do recognize liberal arts is a more selective, is a more, it's, it's a more expensive um, um, system, but I wouldn't want to teach anywhere else. That actually brings me to another curiosity in terms of you being an academic advisor for students and kind of helping them create their own personal academic pathway. Um, during that process, what do you really hope to impart on your students? Actually, academic advising is a favorite part of my job. I this is the one time when you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with students and basically provide advice, uh, not only based on what I have studied, but uh, on my own experience. Um, and I thoroughly enjoy trying to get students to open their mind precisely to the liberal arts experience, uh, to be able to broaden their perspectives, uh, take courses in other areas away from their major. Um, for example, I had a student who was an excellent business student, he, but he also only wanted to take business classes. And I said, look, you seem to be good in languages. Why don't you do a minor in Italian studies? Uh, it may be, who knows, it may be helpful for you in the future. And in any case, it will give you, uh, it will pad your resume, it will look, it will look good in your resume. Uh, so he did, he, he enjoyed the minor in Italian studies. And now he's applying to graduate programs. And of course, having a business degree with a minor in Italian studies makes it look as, uh, as, a, as if he's a more rounded person. 
Similarly, I had another student who, again, wanted to only study finance. Even the basic management courses, uh, she didn't really find too interesting. Uh, but she liked art. So I said, why don't you get a minor in art history? And as it turns out now, uh, she's uh, about, she's starting to apply for master's degrees in museum studies, uh, combining her interest in art with her interest in business or in management in general. So I think our role as academic advisors is to open students' perspectives to things that they may not have considered before. Uh, but that they may actually like. And in the world of today, if you want to be successful, you need to differentiate yourself from the rest of the millions of college graduates every year. The type of education that you can get at Franklin, the where, which allows you to combine things and allows you to look at things from different perspectives, which a general liberal arts education, makes it makes you different from the majority of the people who have a much more straightforward one track oriented training i find that whenever i study business or whenever i'm looking at business theories or a theories of political economy which is my my other main field some of the things that I studied in courses, in history courses, in literature courses, allow me to enrich my perspective, allow me to look at things the way other people don't. And I think in the current, in the modern world, that is a competitive advantage. Yeah, definitely. And plus, it just makes you a way more interesting person to talk to, just on a conversational basis. Um, but <laughs> furthermore, like in addition to you know your pride and happiness in terms of being an academic advisor, you know what else are you proud of accomplishing so far at Franklin? I think there's. I am proud of the many little things I have ac accomplished at Franklin. I think very often we look at all the big things, but the big things you achieve once and that it's great, but I'm proud of the little things and that, you know, all the students who got a slight better advice or who took a course that made them a little more confident or who went on and have stayed in touch. I love getting, emails from former students. I ha even have a folder in my inbox, uh, you know, uh, called Franklin Alumni or uh, another one called Happy Mails. Um, I love getting those, those emails because I think any, every, every time a student says thank you, every time a student shares a success with me, it's partly mine. I, I, you know, I, I, I always like to say I like to shine in the reflected light of others. And when a student or an alumnus um, succeeds, that joy um, is, you know, becomes a little contagious for me. Uh, and I share in that joy. Uh, so you ask me what exactly, well, that's exactly what I like. I, I like the fact that I am able to 
build relations with some very interesting people um, that I made that in many cases I'm able to keep up with those in, with those relationships and that um, some people people around the world remember my classes uh, not as a drag but uh, remember them fondly yeah no definitely and I think that can totally be seen this semester with the alumni desiring deeply to come back and sit in on your politics of Switzerland class. <laughs> um, but just for those of you guys listening, Professor Cordon actually gave me a piece of advice in terms of keeping in touch with people. He just says, go the old fashioned way and send people letters. And Cordon has many connections around the world. So I definitely think you guys should follow his advice. Um, yeah. Well, I, I would say that nowadays, uh, so I mean, Back in the 90s, when I was um, just finished, just had to finish college, I would write a lot of actual letters or postcards. Yeah. I think in the era of social media, letters and postcards may be a little bit too quaint. However, no, Facebook or Instagram or any of the new mechanisms to, to reach out to people, you don't have to write just you know three types of emojis and, uh, and, four, and four words. You know, you could also write a full paragraph. Um, I make a point, um, you know, in Facebook when when you do the happy birthdays, I make a point of trying to start a conversation. Um, and w or when I send messages to people over WhatsApp or uh, or Facebook to actually send a message, not just say hi, how are you doing? It's cool, isn't it? Um, and uh, and you brought up uh, the the Swiss politics class. Uh, as you know, some some of you may know, I because we're doing everything uh, online this semester. I thought that it might be interesting to open my class on the politics and society of Switzerland for um, a, a limited number of alum, uh, a limited number of alums. Um, I thought it would be an interesting perspective. Um, I was surprised by how many alums um, inquired about it. In fact, we had to limit it to four. And I was incredibly gratified that two of those four um, are actually former students of mine right, who were who are, are young enough that are still from my time at Franklin. Um, in fact, I found out that one of them had married um, a fellow student whom he had met in my FYS at Franklin. Um, they had met during their first day of classes uh, in my FYS and eventually... Um, um, they got together and um, now they're married. I, to me, those things are fantastically satisfying. Yeah, so for those of you who are incoming freshmen, take Professor Cordon's FYS if you're looking to meet the love of your life. There is statistics in your favor. <laughs> no, I'm not. It, actually, Professor Puka can tell similar stories. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I'm not teaching an FYS next year, unfortunately. Oh. I'm, I'm teaching um, um, other 100-level courses, but not the FYS. Well, kind of looking towards the future even more is, you know, what can we expect to see from you in the next coming months or years that you're working on publishing? I'm actually working on two pieces right now. Well, one of them is finished. Um, one of them is a chapter for a book that will be published by the International Labor Organization. And the book deals with, or the book starts from the premise that modern technology and now COVID um, will change 
dramatically the management or the human resource management uh, in companies around the world. So it, it, it links my two interests, the political economy, which is what's driving changes, and the management, which is how the, the reaction to those changes. And the book wants to look at how countries, not the traditional Western, you know, uh, the, 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 the advanced economic countries, uh, the advanced uh, technological countries like the US or Germany, but they want to look at how the newly industrialized countries or what is now uh, very commonly referred as the BRICS, um, how they are reacting and how their companies are adapting their human resources practices and to try to see whether their experience has lessons to teach both to poorer countries but also to wealthier countries. So the, the book will have five chapters, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And I'm writing the, I'm co-writing the Brazil chapter. That uh, chapter has been written, is now going through uh, various review processes. Um, if everything goes well, the book will be published in November and we will launch the book at the Academy of Management meeting in the summer of 22. Uh, the Academy of Management um, uh, assembles uh, professors of management, but also of political economy uh, from all over the world. Um, this year's was scheduled to be in Hawaii, so I was I was really excited for the for going to Hawaii. But of course, um, uh, it's going to be online this year. But in any case, the book is not going to be ready until next year. And I'm writing a small piece um, for a practitioners journal uh, in um, in India about uh, the opportunities that Indian companies can have in Brazil. And uh, actually, one of your classmates uh, is helping me write that piece and so we're going to co-author um so her she, name is going to be published as well or yes her name will be published we will be co-authors um in fact i we i've done that already in the past with um with a student who graduated a few years ago and um so we will be appear as co-authors uh and right now uh, um, liz has done all the um, uh, her part of the work now it's on my plate i need to do some um, some additions and some final edits. Um, hopefully that piece will be published over the summer. That's exciting. Well, I look forward to seeing the pieces and also when they get published, I'll link it on the description of this podcast so people can check it out. Um, yeah. But it's really been wonderful speaking to you this afternoon. I can't thank you enough for agreeing to be on the podcast. And yeah, I look forward to what the future holds. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Margaret. It's been um, wonderful. Uh, and thank you for inviting me uh, on this podcast. I, I hope that um, whoever is listening to this um, finds it interesting. I'm sure they will. I'll talk to you soon, Professor. Okay. Bye-bye, Margaret. <laughs>